Hello, everyone. Welcome to Around the Court Squash Podcast. We have a stellar show lined up for you guys today, which includes an interview with the current world number eight and US ranked number one player, Amanda Sovi. We touch base with New Zealand, which includes an interview that Stuart has with the two buddies quarantining together, Joel and Timwa. We also review one of our favorite sports books written by David Epstein, Range which basically throws the 10,000-hour rule out the window and talks how generalists triumph in a specialized world. My name is Arthur Gaskin, and with me as ever is Stuart Crawford, Christopher Sackley, and Jamal Collender. How are you doing, fellas? Doing well, Good. thank you, Arthur. What have you been up to? Uh, more running for me. Decided to attempt our half marathon at the weekend, and well, about a month ago now, I bought a pair of Nike Vaporfly shoes, so I would give them a bit of a test run, and geez, I was running with like trampolines attached to my feet. <laughs> <laughs> did you get that 4% increase in your speed? I did, actually. So yeah, I managed to knock about just under two and a half minutes off my previous half marathon best. Jeez. Went from like 119 down to 117 and a half. And um, are these the shoes that um, supposedly broke the running world? That's them. Yeah. Oh, cheater. We got a cheater in our hands. <laughs> <laughs> Anything for the extra two minutes. Marvel's <laughs> enhancing shoes too. It's a funny one though, because I kind of agree that they're cheating. And for me, I run just because I enjoy it and it keeps me fit. And it's not really about times. It's certainly not about beating other people. So when you wear them and then you go and run fast like that, you kind of don't know what it means because you don't know how much of the improvement is from training harder and getting fitter versus just spending 250 bucks in a nice pair of trainers. <laughs> Cycling's a little bit like that where the equipment is so important. You know, you talk about running, it's, it's so pure. It's one foot in front of the other and you get from point A to point B as fast as you can. I know the essence of cycling is the same, but it's nowhere near as pure because the, the equipment makes such a big difference. Yeah, I think the biggest difference is that it's accepted in cycling that that's just part of the sport and everyone knows that their tyres and the composition of their frame makes a big difference. But I think, as you say, running is historically quite pure. I remember, I think, a Kenyan guy or maybe an Ethiopian who won the Olympic marathon in the 1960s running barefoot. And historically, it has just been who's the fastest. But I can say for certain now, having tried them, that these shoes make a difference. It felt like I was running with a couple of little mini pogo sticks stuck in this old... <laughs> this episode sponsored by Nike. If they want to give me a free pair, then absolutely. <laughs> so, so I just I just jumped into the into the cycling game. Oh, man. Yeah, I had never ridden a proper road bike before. I know Arthur Arthur's super into it, and have a lot of friends that are super into it. Yeah, you enjoy I, the spandex. I was, I, oh, I was flying. I still don't own a proper pair of spandex. It's on my wish list this week. So I'm going to get into the spandex game next. But yeah, the, the, the road bike, you know, going 25 miles an hour or whatever, probably close to as fast as Stu's running in his vapors. Um, <laughs> it felt good. How were the uh, town halls after the bike ride without having the spandex on? No padding. <laughs> not bad. Not bad. It wasn't, wasn't too long of a journey. Ooh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, how about you, Jamal? Uh, outside of the virtual squash program honestly just pretty much keeping Trader Joe's afloat by frozen either Indian or Thai food big man frozen really 
I mean, at this rate, there's no way I'm fitting into any spandex shorts. Jamal loves his frozens. Don't try and get him off his picture of health routine there, Arthur. <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> <laughs> Stu, what's happening in the squash world? Some updates from the PSA and the World Squash Federation about current situation. PSA one in particular was quite interesting. So we were talking about potential challenges to getting the tour up and running. And obviously the biggest one right now, I think, is international travel restrictions. So they were looking at potentially having localized tours when they start up and maybe having clusters of events almost in the same place. I don't know, but hypothetically having some tournaments in the US or some tournaments in Europe and then restricting them to players from those countries or from those regions. They also talked about potentially having or trying to navigate the various quarantine measures that are in place. So if they do have bigger events where they're trying to get everyone, it might make sense to have two or three events back to back in the same country, bring players in. And if they have to go through a couple of weeks of quarantine, then at least they can stay there and then benefit from playing for like a month. Also the challenge of spectators and controlling the numbers within the, the venue. So that's another challenge that they were discussing. But yeah, I found it really interesting that they, they had made that information public and they're quite open and transparent about what they're trying to do to get the tour up and running. The, the World Squash Federation update was a little bit more about the practicalities of getting people back on court at a club level and they talked about four different phases where they'd have people playing, doing solo practice initially, and then gradually building up to regular squash play. But some of the sanitation measures that would be needed, some of the restrictions in terms of keeping the changing facilities closed and not allowing people to shower or change at the club, having hand sanitizer. So the other thing I wanted to mention was the, the PSA setting up a it's called the We Are One Fund. So they're trying to support some of the younger up-and-coming players that maybe don't have the financial security that more established players have. I think I checked this morning and they're on just under $50,000. Oh. I think the PSA alone have contributed $20,000 of that money. It's a great That's initiative amazing. and hopefully it can help the players that need it. And for anyone who's listening, how can they donate to that? Uh, so I think if you go on the PSA website and go to their news section, there's a news article that, and then there's a link within that news article where you can take you to sort of like GoFundMe page where you cool. can donate. Jeez, that's awesome. Okay, so last week, having what Stuart argued was the best sporting documentary that he had ever seen, we thought we would go into a similar theme this week and talk about a book written by David Epstein called Range. The book at one point was going to be called Tiger Woods, the Specialist versus Roger Federer, the Generalist. And a quote from the opening chapter is, while it is undoubtedly true that there are areas that require individual with Tiger's precocity and clarity of purpose, as complexity in the world increases, we do also need more Rogers, people who start broad and embrace diverse experiences and perspectives while they progress. Yeah, so I, I read this book about a year ago. It came out just at the start of last summer, and I'd actually read David Epstein's original book called The Sports Gene, which still to this day is probably the best book I've ever read, certainly the best sports book I've ever read. But Range is kind of the follow-up, and it's it looks at it from a slightly broader perspective, not just in sport. But as you say, the opening chapter I found fascinating looking at the backgrounds of Roger Federer and Tiger Woods. So I think most people know Tiger Woods' story about how he was starting golfing at the age of two and he was on TV at four years old and playing tournaments and winning sort of, I think he was winning under 12 tournaments when he was like five or six years old. Yeah, he pretty much epitomizes the 10,000 hour rule. He's the uh, yeah. poster boy for that. And also epitomizes the early specialization mantra and just picking one activity and really focusing on that from a young age and trying to trying to get to the, 
the top of the game just by prioritising that. But I find the Roger Federer story a little bit more, certainly from my experience, a little bit more common and also quite fascinating. So one of the things I didn't know until I read this book was that Roger's mum was actually a tennis coach, um, but she refused to coach him when he was a young kid because he used to act up and he was a bit of a brat and would misbehave with her and she basically handed him over to another coach. This other coach obviously recognised his talent and natural ability and actually wanted to move him up an age group so that he was playing with older kids and getting better competition. But Roger himself actually didn't want to do that because he wanted to stay with his his friends that he'd grown up with and just enjoyed going to the tennis club and having a bit of fun. And actually, I think he won a tournament around the age of 15 years old. He was asked what he wanted to do with the prize money that he got. And he said he wanted a Mercedes. And his his mum was horrified that he'd allowed this minor success to go to his head. And she couldn't believe that he would think like that and she thought she'd raised them better and it turned out what he'd actually said when he was asked what do you want to do with your money he said mere cds which is more cds he's (laughs) going to buy more cds (laughs) i mean now he can probably buy as many cds or mercedes as he wants so it's probably not an issue (laughs) he can resurrect the cd uh cd industry didn't he he also played quite a lot of other sports as a kid growing up did yeah he played he played most racket sports it seems he's certainly Played a bit of squash, played some badminton, played some team sports. So I think he had a pretty varied background. Um, The lesson I took from it is that they both went on to be ultimately very successful. But I think the longevity of Roger is probably played out by the fact that he didn't specialise quite so early. You can probably trace some of Tiger's problems when he had that sort of dark spell 10 or 12 years ago. Back to the fact that he was quite insular as a child. He didn't have quite a sort of normal upbringing, so to speak. So he made Maybe didn't develop the same sort of personal skills and social skills and the ability to function in a regular world the way that Roger seems to have. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's a major reason why a lot of us love squash, right? I mean, I, I know all you guys pretty well, and I think I can say for sure that that's the reason why we all loved it as kids and now, you know, played right through and now love passing it down and coaching because of the community, social aspect. I mean, how many of our friends are squash players, right? It's crazy. How often have we come across students where straight away they're like, whoa, you see something. And then you hear their background and they've played tennis, they've played soccer, they've played lacrosse, they've played hockey. Because all the skill sets that are developed physically are easily transferable into another sport because you've built all those motor skills from such a young age. Yeah, I think touching on, you know, the whole person and what Stuart was saying about Tiger, maybe missing a couple key components of a childhood that would set him up to think a little differently or be more successful off off the golf course i think what we're talking about now directly contributes to that i loved playing team sports growing up you know hockey and basketball were probably my two favorites played some soccer really did enjoy the team sport aspect but then i think personality wise i got sick of team sports at times when i would see people maybe hiding behind the team if there were a bad loss you know, they wouldn't take any blame or something. And being a squash player, I knew if I did something wrong, I would kind of accept the blame even in a team sport. So that kind of threw me off when I was playing basketball. I remember a few instances, but I think getting to be a good teammate and having a bit of fun with other people, I think set me up for a lot of other things and probably set us all up for, uh, you know, being working with people and, and coaching and being good communicators. That's one of the things that's actually discussed in the book a little bit, Chris, is this concept, it's called early sampling. There's this 
sort of trend towards early specialization and picking your sport younger and younger and getting more and more coaching at a young age and what he talks about is early sampling as a way of trying different sports and then later in the book he talks about this other concept that I think goes hand in hand with that which is called match quality and he actually talks about it more in a sort of job context of finding the the right career or profession but he essentially looks at people that try different industries different jobs and the more people move around and try different things the more likely they are to realize what fits best with their skill set with their personality with their in the context of sport with their physical attributes with their skills mentally what, what sort of pressure they like to deal with I think just going back to your point the more we can allow kids to sample different sports and give them the freedom to make decisions for themselves and I realize that at a young age that can be quite tough which is probably one of the reasons we have to delay that specialization as long as possible so that kids do get to a point where they're mature enough to, to start to get an understanding of what it is they enjoy and what sort of fits with their this, this concept of match quality. Yeah I love that part in the book trying as many sports under the sun and making the decision later in life to specialize and if it's a student that's making the decision to specialize in a particular sport the love for that sport grows as opposed to being pulled there against their will yeah i've experienced this a few times obviously being in in the college world mostly uh, i don't run into it too often but i have worked with some some younger players like under 12 and under 13 and um i've seen it there's sometimes these periods where the little kid is just all in and they love it and they want to almost play squash with you every day and i think the parents love that and then there's other times where that same kid will show up and you start to notice a trend of maybe they've just gotten sick of it for a little bit and I think it's our job as coaches and it's a it's an awkward position to be in but telling that parent hey it's okay if they take a break right now especially at 10 11 years old so on that note uh Stuart specialist or generalist um if I look at myself as a child probably a generalist and then like I say maybe around 15 16 I was starting to specialize in squash and probably not play many other sports. And also as a coach, I try to read about different topics and learn about sports psychology and nutrition and physiology and all different things that I can then pull together to make me as good a coach as possibly can be with as much information and knowledge as possible to help my players. Good answer. Chris? Yeah, definitely a, a generalist. I had a father as a coach as well, which was interesting. And it's kind of cool to look back on now that I'm in those shoes. And uh, like I said, we, we didn't play squash in the summers, maybe a little because he didn't want to be at the squash club that much in the summer either because he was there so much all year. But um, yeah, I played just about every sport that is played in North America. And this Canadian school system was kind of cool where every sport season was only three weeks. So you'd play volleyball for three weeks, basketball for three weeks, cross country, track and field, soccer. So kind of elementary school played a little bit of everything. And then I, I still kept my hand in basketball. I played for my high school until about 16 when they needed a bigger commitment and I had to go the squash route, which was about the right time, I think, anyway, to, to, to dedicate that uh, extra few months a year to squash. Jamal? Yeah, as a player, generalist, coach, also generalist, um, I got into the game later than most Americans started playing when I was 13. Uh, yeah, kind of like for me growing up, uh, my parents, especially like in the summertime, were, here's a ball, come back when uh, when the sun comes down. And that was it. Um, and as a coach, I mean, I, I, I try to make it as generalized as possible. I try to relate, you know, technical aspects to other sports, try to find some common ground with the kids to make the transition a bit easier. Right on. Okay, guys, uh, moving on. Week two of the New Zealand 
Premier Squash Pro events this week. Joel Ascot, last week's runner-up, got the win, but didn't avenge last week's final loss to Timwa, his quarantine buddy. Chris, Jamal, what did you guys make of the final? Yeah, once again, I was pretty impressed. Um, I guess part of it is is just the, the squash nerd in me is just excited to see any semblance of, of squash going on. Pretty impressed with the standard. Joel especially really impressed me just technically, I guess. Looks very, very solid, very sound. And honestly, this is, <laughs> I was very impressed with not only the decisions that the referee made, but also how how um, how she stuck with them. She gave very clear expl- explanations Hope that the PSA World Tour and their refs, whoever handles that, can take a look at what she did and maybe maybe learn from that. I just I just was very impressed with the the event overall. the The squash looked good. The guys looked the guys looked fit and quick, and they didn't have much rust on them, which is you know probably a testament to New Zealand not closing down and these guys working pretty hard through their short burst there. But um, yeah, great stream, great commentary. Um, really interesting listening to John and and kind of just how there was a need for something in. In that country and he's trying to make it happen yeah i also think that his his passion to support young up-and-coming players is something that's probably missing i think it's very easy to support players once they're established but really the diff the most difficult period of any squash player's career if you like if they're going to make it is that post-junior sort of 19 to 22 years old phase where you're not playing big events you're not making much prize money training is a real ground some some people are studying alongside it, trying to figure out if this is viable, if it's the right decision for them in terms of going back to what we talked about earlier. Does this fit with my personality and how committed am I and how, how willing am I to really do everything that I need to to make it? I just loved hearing the way that John is trying to support those guys that want to give it a go and give them every opportunity to make, make a success out of it as possible. All right, guys. Well, we got a great interview here with two fellas who've been quarantining together for quite a while now. They played the first final against each other. I mean, we know who won, but we don't know how, how they got on afterwards, who was cooking the dinner. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, here we go, guys. So I'm joined here today by two young guys from New Zealand. Actually, probably the only people in the world that can say the sentence, I've won a squash tournament in the last two months. So welcome to the show, Joel Arscott and Temwa Chilisi. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So thanks for joining us, guys. I know you guys have been playing some tournaments recently and you've got another one coming up and then I think there's a final one next week. But the, one of the reasons I was so interested in your story is that I saw a news report at the very start where you actually moved into the squash club during lockdown and you were living there for like six weeks before the tournament started. Do you want to just tell us about that and how it came about? So uh, we train out of a club called Squash Excel in Auckland um, in Evandale, which is a pretty new club, it's only been around for like two years. And the guy who owns it, his name's John Duggan, who you've had on here before, who are big supporters of us and young Kiwi players. And he, he supports us um, with, with use of the facilities and streaming and all that kind of stuff, putting on tournaments. Um, and yeah, we, we usually get housed um, next door to him and uh, train at the club every day. So when the lockdown happened, we asked simply, can we move some mattresses really into the club and um, hunker down? Um, and he said yes, and he obliged, so that was pretty much it. Yeah, we just got some bunk beds, um, some mattresses from the bunk beds and where we normally um, stay and chucked it, in a, chucked it in a room in the club, at the end of the club, right outside uh, one of the courts. Yeah. <laughs> I understand you were cooking all your meals in the club and obviously spending 24 hours a day living together, so how was that experience? Well, 
we ate pretty well, but in terms of living with each other, that was a bit more challenging. Yeah, we ate we ate decent. Yeah, we ate very well. Um, tips for each other most but, of yeah, the time. Eat, sleep, train, all in the same place. It was pretty tough mentally more than anything else, especially when there was no other members coming in or anything like that. Um, but yeah, we, we almost came to blows a few times meeting Thames, but uh, we're going strong. It's expected though, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. to be expected. Two teenagers, yeah. It's expected. Was that on the court or off the court? Well, a bit of both, really, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On and off, I'd say. Who, who was responsible for the cooking in the kitchen? Uh, pretty 50-50, although Tim will tell you otherwise. Debatable, but I'd, I'd call it like a 70-30. Okay. Yeah. So I, I assume you guys normally train together anyway, but was there any sort of challenges to training together? And like I say, I would imagine normally you're training with other people as well as each other. And how was so it, normally, like I said, spending 24 hours a day together? Yeah, normally we train full time anyway. That's what pretty much what we have been doing for the last six months or a year. Um, so it was actually kind of weird when everything got cancelled and we were still here training. It was kind of like we had to well, redirect our, our focus and try and train for something else in that period. Yeah, yeah. So we set ourselves a bunch of little challenges and we had some pretty gnarly cross-court games, um, you know, you know, good fun on the bench press, things like that, just different stuff really for that period of time and staying competitive with each other. Yeah, we had a few fun bets for like matches and stuff that we recorded. So yeah. it made it a bit... A lot of burpees. Yeah, a lot of burpees done after that, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. Especially for me. was half. Yeah, yeah. I, I lost my th- most of those ones. Any of those that you want to go into detail or do you want to sort of keep your confidentiality on that given the gambling rules on PSA? Yeah, yeah, true. yeah. We'll, yeah. Keep that, we'll keep that low key. <laughs> so we heard on the show last week when John was speaking about how he decided to start this unsquashable Premier League series of tournaments. And I think there's four events back to back. So Temo, you actually won the first event as the three seed, I believe. And then Joel, you came back the following week and, and won in week two. So... How did those events go? Did you, were you happy with your performances? Uh, yeah, uh, on my behalf, on the first week, I was, I was pretty happy with my performance because I think everyone was a bit rusty. So it was, it was kind of hard in terms of expectations on what to expect. We didn't really know where everyone's level was at. We saw like people coming and hit a couple of days before the event started, but we weren't really too sure on the levels of the other people. We knew our levels because yeah. we'd played a few matches and stuff. But uh, yeah, it was quite, quite, quite weird actually that first week. Yeah. But yeah, I managed to to get a um, quite a close win in the semi-finals, which I was happy about coming back from two love down. But um, yeah, I was generally pretty happy with my first week. My second week, not so happy. But um, I actually think I probably actually did play better in the second week, even though I uh, didn't win. Yeah. So all around, not too bad. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this weekend goes. I think we've got a, a new um, ex-pro coming in called Lance Fedos. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's playing this weekend, so it should be quite interesting. Lance is actually based in Philadelphia, which is where I am right now. So yeah, I know Lance oh, a little bit. True. Oh, right. Okay, yeah, he there just came go. in for a 20-minute solo about 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. And how about you, Joel? How did you feel? Obviously, not so great in the first event, but bounced back really well in week two. Yeah, I think... As, as Tim was said, the, the first week was very strange. Um, a lot of nerves. And although we had even been playing matches, just the fact of having other people in here and having, you know, that sort of occasion or the atmosphere was a bit, bit strange. Um, so, yeah, the first week was a little bit rusty from everyone. And then, um, yeah, Tim, we played the best. Nice consistency through the weekend. Um, but, yeah, the second week I just felt a lot better, felt a lot more calmer, really, with, 
was playing again on, on that court. Um, so, yeah, I uh, got the W and I was pretty stoked with that. But as Tim was said, the third week will be, uh, this weekend will be pretty interesting with, uh, I think everyone's a lot sharper now. Um, not, yeah. not, as, not as sore as they were maybe on the second week and after the first week. So people are kind of getting used to it now. So I think this will definitely be, definitely be the most uh, competitive weekend, especially with that wildcard Lance, um, Lance Beto's thrown in the mix. So looking forward to it. Do you feel like you had a slight advantage in the certainly in the first week, with the fact that you'd been training a little bit more, and I'm assuming the other boys hadn't been on court? Yeah, definitely. I yeah. think especially because it's on the glass court, and it's just so much different to a traditional court as well. So even if some of the other guys managed to get there, get some time on like some traditional courts, it's not really the same. It's quite a lot different. So I think everyone's just getting better and better as they play on the glass court more and more, really. Yeah. And looking forward, do you have any plans? I know you're both playing a little bit of PSA and you're, I think your rankings are, Tim, you're, you're about three... I think 337 it is, yeah. Roughly yeah, there. And, and Joe, you're 235, is it? Yeah, yeah. Been sitting there for a few months now. So do you have any plans to, obviously the PSA at the moment is suspended, but once that gets going again, are you hopeful to play more and more events and maybe travelling outside of New Zealand a bit more? Yeah, so, so we had a big year. Um, um, in store, we were focusing on trying to get better summer series here in New Zealand, which was a bit bit of a slow start for all of us. Tim, we got his first title though, um, so which was great, and things were looking pretty good. And then um, we planned to go to play the Australian tour in August and July, um, and you know go title hunting over there yeah. across the ditch, and then um, run across to uh, or hop across to the UK in September October and play the start of the season there, and um, hopefully you know get our rankings down inside that top 200 bracket and catch up with um, Luamba Chalisi, Timwood's brother, who's over there. But unfortunately, yeah, all that stuff is kind of up in the air. And we're just hoping that the bubble opens up in Australia, New Zealand, and maybe we can get to play some PSAs if we're, if we're allowed to. But yeah, we'll see how it goes. Do you have any information about whether those events are likely to go ahead or does that look unlikely at the moment? I think Australia, Australian Open and Coffs Harbour still open. Are still listed on PSA and they're open for entries but whether they go ahead or not that's a bit up in the air yeah, yeah. so that can still change that. but at the moment they're still they're still listed on PSA and they're not postponed or cancelled and what about long term do you have any like main goals looking ahead whether it's representing New Zealand maybe Commonwealth Games or anything like that yeah so we're both looking to make the um, world men's team next year which is in New Zealand isn't it December yeah Tauranga yeah. Tauranga. So we're both hoping to make that, or all three of us, me, Joel, and my brother gunning for that one. And then, yeah, obviously Commonwealth Games, which is two years after that? year after that, the year after that. So, yeah. yeah. We'll so we're looking to We're that. in the squads at the moment for, for, for it, and uh, we're tracking. But um, I think the aim for all of us, because we've got quite a good squad here, like the three of us, which is all of us to play for New Zealand together, which is the big goal. But I think we all have our own individual goals as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine one of those spots is pretty much confirmed with, with Paul and his current form and yeah, success yeah, he's yeah. had. So Staples. if only four in the team, that might be quite tough for the three of you to get the remaining spots. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We know. I'm just curious, are you inspired by Paul? Is he someone that you know well or you've trained with in the past? Yeah, yeah. So he's come back for nationals in the last year. and We had a few high-performance camps. Uh, the national camps that we're involved in, and we got to hit with them, which was really good. Um, for, I think it was about two days before nationals, he came and trained with us, so all the boys that were in the squad. And, uh, yeah, that was really cool, getting on court with him. You know, he's a great player. Good. Um, 
he's a big influence on our squash as well. We watch him quite a lot, do a lot of match analysis. Yeah, don't, don't miss a match. Don't yeah, miss a don't match. miss a match. We've been up at five matches. in the morning or three, four in the morning to watch him live. We've had five or six of us around the table watching him on that TV. So yeah, yeah, um, in the club. So we we get around him, but he's a pretty patriotic dude. He's uh, got a lot of time for us, which is good. And um, yeah, always looking to give back in New Zealand, which is great for for us coming through. Yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, I think we have a pretty decent relationship with him. Certainly, one of the things that I've noticed from watching these events was you're all quite young guys. I mean, I think you two are two of the older guys in the event. Yeah. Yeah. Watching the final last week, I think Elijah, who you played in the final, Joel was only 17. Is that right? Yeah, yes. There's a big crop of guys at the moment. I think there's like probably close to 10 of us that are all within, you know, 21 and, and 17, 16. That being said, those those young boys, they're pretty big for their size. If you've seen Leo and uh, Glenn Tilton play, they're not they're not small guys. Yeah, so small um boys. but yeah, no, it's good competition for all of us, especially with that that eight man draw, it just really hones in and it gets pretty competitive with those with those matches. So uh lead that one. It's about when was it? About a week and a half ago. It was like one AM in the morning and we were just down in the room, just I was I was actually like nearly asleep. So I think I don't know, maybe we we're playing PS4 until one or whatever, until twelve or whatever. But I went to bed. I was nearly asleep at like one. And then Joel all of a sudden just he's just like, Oh shh, shh. Did, did you see that? Did you see that? And he said he saw a light. And so we come out here with like gold clubs. Like military style. Military like style. Like both of us walking down past the gym. Yeah. We, we had no idea what was out here. And then we come out and there was just absolutely nothing. All yeah. the doors were locked. It was silent. So we're like, oh. We're just out there in our undies and two pairs of golf clubs. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty funny. Yeah. yeah. That's probably the funniest moment we've had so far. But there'll be plenty more to come out there. Yeah. Just as long as you don't take the golf, court, uh, golf clubs on court and start beating the crap out of each other on there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That could be my weapon. My weapon on court, golf club. So, any predictions for this weekend? Who's going to take a two-one lead? Ooh. Yeah, that's a good call, actually. That's um, a tough one. I'm not sure. This guy's got a possible semi-final with Elijah, who he lost to last week in the semi-final, right? Yeah. So, um, so a rematch. That rematch could be pretty interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know about my side of the draw. Uh, I got Jack first up. Which should be I should be okay with that one, but um, we'll see how we go. I don't know, Lance. Lance like we said Lance is yeah. the wild card this week, so who knows? Some we don't really know what he's been doing, so hard to hard to say, really. Yeah. Okay. Well, good luck, boys. We'll be following your progress over here, and it's great to have some live squash to watch. Really enjoyed watching you guys play for the first time over the last couple of weeks. So, Obviously. thanks for joining us, and good luck with everything. Yeah. Thank time. you very much for having us. Great interview. I mean, I know I definitely wouldn't have been the easiest man in the world to be quarantined with in a squash court in a training environment. <laughs> so, uh, Stuart, tell me, talk to us. Oh, Arthur, I can remember some of our practice matches together back in the day, and I certainly <laughs> wouldn't want to quarantine with you. <laughs> My man. <laughs> Who want to practice? <laughs> um, Who gives a sh- <laughs> I'll tell you if, if my squash club White Oaks back in Niagara would have uh, let me quarantine there I would have taken that in a heartbeat you got the dual restaurants the hotel the pool the steam room a couple gyms I mean wouldn't have been a bad spot my club back in Ireland it would have been freezing for a start <laughs> courts would have been great I would have had access to a microwave so dinner would have been pot noodle <laughs> yeah, my squash club was obviously better than yours Arthur because we had a microwave and a fridge Oh, man, talk about getting it where it hurts.
Okay, well, look, before we get into an interview we did with Amanda Sovey, Jamal, you and I had both selected her as our pick for a winner had, if a PSA event were to start tomorrow um, and all the players have been coming back from quarantine. One of my reasons for it was not only how she overcame a very difficult injury, but also just that forehand is just teared up, slotty McSlot. Yeah, I'm not sure. I've seen some of her training videos and if she's drinking as much as she was in some of them, I'm not sure she'll be winning too much. <laughs> it was pretty cool. I mean, everyone. it was early in the quarantine, but I think there were so many people putting around these like Rex Kondo workouts and this is, you know, five minute ebbs and then the next person's coming out with four minute ebbs. It was just a nice kind of refreshing thing. So I just thought it was kind of a bit of crack. You can't get abs in four minutes, Arthur. Everyone knows it's five minute abs. <laughs> you haven't seen <laughs> it's a new improved recipe. It's one minute. <laughs> yeah, one of, the, one of the things that's always impressed me with Amanda, I mean, I don't know her, but she always seems like she's enjoying her training and she knows how to have a laugh. She doesn't seem to take herself too seriously. So yeah, I've always just enjoyed following some of her social media accounts and just seeing what she gets up to. Yeah, I actually have seen her train firsthand. We had hit together every now and again. I pop up to MIT and there's a pool of us. She works hard. She absolutely loves it. Thierry has created a great training environment. He's such a good guy as well. Such a good influence. He's super positive, energetic, and like always has great energy. He just basically is just a legend. Yeah, I agree, Arthur. I've gotten to know Thierry through the college squash scene when I was the head coach at Dickinson and he was just starting at MIT. We'd have some epic battles. I was basically teaching teaching people how to serve and hit the ball and he had more of a club team and we'd just be sitting behind the back of the court having a good laugh and as his team's gotten better, his demeanor hasn't changed at all. Like it's never a weird, overly competitive atmosphere. He's created a, a strong team without getting sucked into some of the stuff that you see a little bit in college squash. And uh, yeah, just a class guy. All right. Without further ado, let's get into the interview with Amanda Sovi. Okay. Absolutely delighted to welcome here on today's show, Amanda Sovi quick little list of her of what she's achieved to date she's a four-time national champion 2010 world junior champion four-time collegiate champion ridiculous 62 and 0 record for harvard that's 62 wins in case you were wondering which way the 62 was three-time pan-american gold medalist including a doubles gold medal with her sister sabrina 2016 toc final she's the highest ever ranked u.s squash player reaching a career high of six she has just come back from an injury or she back a year now and she's climbed right back into where she belongs in the top 10 at number eight we're super grateful amanda thanks so much for agreeing to come on on the show how you doing doing well thanks so much for having me no no it's a, it's a pleasure i mean do you do you hear that or do you even look at it every now and again and think hmm, they're too shabby i could be onto something here i know it's funny because <laughs> i'm always everyone tells me they're like amanda you're so hard on yourself and like i am my harshest critic and so when you were just saying that i was like oh yeah it's not, not too bad so far like yeah, yeah, I mean, I've I mean, a few things. There's some, <laughs> there's some good stats in there. Yeah, and, and there's some history there. I mean, the yeah. first ever American to win a World Junior Championship, a World Championship, full stop. I mean, that's that's amazing. Yeah, so it'll be coming up on a my birthday this year. Will be a decade from it since I won it on my 17th birthday. <laughs> wow, wow, that's time flies, doesn't it? I know it's crazy. Days are long and the years are short. So we had a discussion on last week's episode where we all, everyone in the panel picked a player, a men's player and a women's player that if a super series event was to start next week, who would win? Two of us picked you, Amanda. 
And I mean, I was one of those. I mean, I'm not just, I'm not Thank you. Thank you. just to be nice. Uh, <laughs> if, it, if I'd pick someone else, I'd say it. But a couple of reasons that I picked you, I mean, for a start, just that forehand and super <laughs> severe. And I just can't see that going uh, into hibernation any longer than quarantine lasts. The other reason, and I suppose it was universal between the two of us, was you know, you've, you've had to overcome a tough injury and you came back. But for me, the main reason that I would have picked you is you don't seem like somebody who could be beat down by, you, you know, you, you take quarantine life or you take lockdown, call it whatever the world is today. Like you take it in your stride. And I sort of base that purely on the vibe that I get at MIT when I'm hitting with you and Thierry. Just this, it's just so... It's just such a happy place, even though everyone's working hard. It's not like, oh, this is a grind and we're slogging through here. Yeah, I think Thierry uh, definitely brings that atmosphere too. Um, it's hard. It's hard not to be kind of upbeat and excited to play when you're when you're training with him. <laughs> I was going to come to that. Like, what a guy! <laughs> exactly. He just that bounce in his step, the smile. He's always laughing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been a joy working with him. But um, no, thank you so much for picking me. I mean, definitely honored. Um, I, I think just, I've learned a lot, like, especially with my injury and this time off and, you know, the quarantine. And I just think my mentality, you can always find positives in a um, tough situation. And it's never really been my style to complain or think of the negatives and you can make a good situation out of some hardship. And that's, and that's always, for me, it's always been a way of testing your strength, um, your mental strength, and just how strong and of a person you are in general. And if you can kind of overcome this quarantine time and use it as an opportunity to really grow and make changes. I mean, the beautiful thing about quarantine is that we have so much time. And I've never had that because I'm always on the go to training and for tournaments and like I'm here I'm there exhibitions invitationals like double singles and so I never really am in one place um for a long period of time and this is the first time that I can and my body's healthy and so you know I I'm seeing this as a, a way to truly like utilize this time to get better and enjoy it and so you know I'm kind of I'm not really that anxious about when the tour is going to start up because I feel like this is a great time for me to work on things that I just haven't had the time to do, especially like physically and for my injury. I mean, that's amazing. Just to hear you talk about you're using this as an opportunity to better yourself and then also making the most of it. I suppose it's a totally different type of time for you than it was when you were injured because you were always on the trail to get back as soon as you could. Um, yeah. And um, yeah. And of course, like with my injury, um, I had so much time off and I couldn't really wasn't able to like go out and be do physical things to help my body and everything. Um, so I, I kind of went the other direction where I just went like and partied and went out and like enjoyed life. And that was great because I was at I was like 23 at the time and I never really had that much time off. Yeah. So I was like, freedom. <laughs> and it's not like anyone could tell me you need to go run because it's not like I could so I <laughs> maximize that. And it was great. But, um, but now when I, I got to this time and everyone's like, oh my God, I can't play squash for like a month. And I was like, well, guess what? I didn't play squash for six months when I was injured. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I've been there, done that. Like, I'm totally fine. I know what it's like not to play squash. I know for a long time. I know that 
my squash is not going to go away during this time. And I know that my body is actually healthy for once. And so I was like, instead of just sitting on my butt doing nothing, doing the same as what I did three years ago, I was like, I don't want to do that again. I want to actually like grow and get better and, and improve during this time. Cause this is a perfect time where no one really knows what you're doing. So while people are all kind of, they can be sitting around moping around being like, what am I supposed to do during lockdown? There's nothing to train for. I'm like, well, what can I be doing and still be working to improve for whatever, whenever the time is to get back on tour, you know, when that time comes, I'll be ready and I'll be like ready to go. Happy days. You've just validated yeah. uh, myself and Jamal there. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was going to see if uh, Jamal was the other person. <laughs> he was, yeah. He was straight in. <laughs> yeah. I'd be disappointed. <laughs> He's like family to us. <laughs> yeah, what a guy. So just touching back with your coaching student relationship with Thierry, and we've already mentioned your sort of positive personality and that it never get the sense that you're in the middle of a grind and and same Thierry, and, and you'd already sort of alluded that he probably brings that out to you. I'm sure there's a little bit where you do a bit, you rub there's, off in each other. Yeah, there's both. I think we both have that very bubbly, happy personality. And so we we 100% like rub off on each other in that way. And so when I, since I've been working with him, like I've just loved being around with him and he has such a great personality and energy has no ego whatsoever he's the nicest human being on the planet almost to a fault where i'm like terry like you need to be a little bit more (laughs) like come on like tough love like stick it in there (laughs) and i'm like um but he's it's great and like he has so much energy and you can just see how much he cares he cares so much and I joke around and I'm like, you're an emotional Frenchman. Like, of course, you're going to just pour out your emotions at every session. But he wants to see me succeed and he wants to improve. And that kind of like fuels him to see me do well and to help me get better. That fuels him and makes him excited because it's like, oh, he has a purpose. And so we're almost like pushing each other up that ladder a little bit. Um, and then working with him in MIT it's just a joy. Like we have a blast together. It's hilarious. Um, and I'm kind of like, we do good cop, bad cop. Like he's the, <laughs> nice, he's the nice one. And it's the men's team. It's a men's team. So it's like me with a bunch of, with like 15 boys that are between the ages of 18 and 22. And then I'm like the mom, the team mom. That's like, guys, do you have this? Do you have this? And I was like, come on, like, stop talking. Like get on court. Like, what are you doing? And Terry's like, Oh man, like, hi, how's it going? <laughs> I'm like, Terry, I was like, no, like you need to like, be dis- disciplined them. Like <laughs> I was like, you need to be on time, ready to go. It sounds like between the two years you have it covered. <laughs> yeah. So we have, we definitely have the good cop, bad cop vibe going. Um, but it's been, it's been so much fun. And I first started at MIT was when I was coming back from my injury and that was Terry, his assistant just left. And so he was struggling to find an assistant. He's like, Oh, Amanda, it would be perfect. You're coming back onto tour with your injury. And like, you know, you can practice, but like when you go to tournaments, we understand and all of that. But then you, and it, it's perfect. And I was like, fine. I was like, I'll do it this year while you find somebody. I was like, I will just do an interim period. Like, not doing this long term of course I got invested with the team and the guys and loved it so much and I was like can I stay on please (laughs) (laughs) 
So then, uh, yeah, so three years later, I've uh, been staying on as an MIT assistant coach. So it's actually, it's been a lot of fun. It's exhausting, but a lot of fun. It is that. Do you find it helps your own game just looking at the game through a different lens? Yeah, I mean, be it's so tough being a coach, um, but you can see things happening that you might not be able to see on court in the moment playing. And a lot of times when I'm the things I'm telling the guys on the team, I'm like, Amanda, like, you need to tell this to yourself, like practice what you preach here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I can relate to that. Guys to, to act this way in the moment yet, like you're on court and like getting stressed out and glass arm, like, why don't you relax too? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, I mean, it's been great. And it's just, it's taught me a lot of, that coaching kind of relationship and having to get through to each of the guys on the team to find that way to connect with them in terms of what to say to get them going a little bit like or to maybe calm them down and to know each guy's like what makes them tick and like things to say and so it definitely like makes you think a lot yeah you're always looking for stuff Exactly. Looking for signs and then to be able to communicate the right language to the right personality at the right time. 100%. 100%. And so I always try and not show too much emotion like off court unless it's like positive. Um, yeah. Whereas Thierry, like they hit a tin and Thierry's like, oh no. <laughs> I was like, Thierry, I was like, if they're looking off court, like they're going to see you freaking out and they're going to freak out. And so I'm like, it's okay. Like, keep going. You guys got this. <laughs> Uh, yeah. well, what a dynamic dynamic duo <laughs> Love absolute, it. absolute dream team there <laughs> yeah it's, it, it appears so i mean the team's doing great yeah uh, great they've, season they've done really really well i mean since Thierry started they were like in the 30s and now we're in the b division so yeah 16 or yeah so that's been fantastic yeah quality so earlier on the show, we t- we went through David Epstein's book, Range. It's a follow-up from the book, The Sports Gene, which he wrote in 2013. And the basic message from the book is to try as many different skills, sports as you can, specialize late, and it leads into how generalists thrive in a specialized world. We know that you've played a lot of sports. Um, what, what do you say? What's your take on it? Oh, I cannot stress enough to parents to put their kids in as many sports as possible growing up. I think it's so beneficial just to learn all of these different tools. And, you know, whether you're kicking a ball, hitting a ball, running, it develops all of these skills for you. And I just, I hate when I see parents putting their five-year-old kid in private lessons and just having them play squash. And that's it. And I'm like, are you trying to burn out your kid? Like, what are you doing here? And the thing is, because I'm, because I'm rather successful in the squash world, everybody automatically thinks that I've started when I was five or six. And I was like, no, I started when I was 11 and I played every other sport beforehand. Like I started with tennis, soccer, softball, um, played lacrosse, basketball for a little bit, but I wasn't good at it, but I tried those two things, you know, and then I played volleyball in middle school. So by middle school, I was doing soccer in the fall, volleyball in the winter, along with squash, and then softball in the spring. 
And I played tennis up until 11 as well. And then I started playing squash. Yep. And then at 12, I stopped tennis and I switched over to squash only because my swing was getting too messed up. But I was still playing all those other sports. And then high school, I only, as I got more competitive with squash and I was more focused with that and starting to travel more. Of course, the other sports had to kind of take a backseat and I had to stop a couple. Um, but I still played varsity um, soccer my in ninth grade in high school. Yeah. And after that, then I stopped all my sports. So maybe that was 15. And I had to, I had to stop only because I was just traveling so much for squash now playing tournaments overseas every weekend. And like, it was unfair to the soccer team that I was taking someone's slot when I just wasn't there enough. Yeah. It it sounds like squash naturally just came to the top and you chose it or maybe it even chose itself. Yeah. But I mean, I loved playing all these sports and that's, probably why I still love squash is because I didn't start it so early and I yeah and I got the chance to play all these different sports and I chose squash for myself my parents didn't say you're gonna play squash because it's gonna get you into a really good college I was like oh I want to play squash because I love it yeah that's brilliant and I'm sure when you started off squash because you played so many different sports you picked it up pretty quick and I'm sure any coach that was there on your first day or two that you played was like, Oh, there's a bit of skill there. Oh yeah, absolutely. And like, I was just an, I was a natural athlete, you know, yeah. you, could, I, you could throw me in any sport and I could generally be okay at it. And so that's the thing. Like I was losing when I was 11, 12, 13 and stuff, but my growth, like once I started kind of paying more attention to it and actually putting in the time, then my growth rate just went up like that. And it was, it was easier to kind of translate over because I was just so used to growing up with all of these different sports around me. Yeah, yeah. That's brilliant. Good message for any young person listening oh, to this. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Actually, probably a better message to parents. <laughs> it is. I tell parents, I was like, throw your kids in every single sport and they will decide what they're good at and what they like. I think that's important that the student or the kid makes that choice. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned tennis and, you know, the Williams sisters were big idols of yours growing up. You're at the top of the sport. Your sister's now starting to make some serious moves up the PSA world rankings. What's the rivalry like between you both? And has it changed since you joined the tour? Has it intensified since you started climbing the ranks? What's it like between you both? Uh, it's it's great. Honestly, like I'm so happy that she decided to go pro. Um, there was a bit of period where none of us really knew whether she was going to go pro or not. She was a bit of a burnout case, but she refound the love for the sport herself um, during college and decided that she wanted to give it a go. And she's been doing really well. I mean, her first, this is past season has been her first season and it's only been half a season and she's gone from 80 in the world to 30. So it's, yeah, and she's scored upsets over a bunch of top 20 people. Um, she's gotten close to those in the top, um, 12. So she's, she's really coming like into her own. And, you know, I'm almost like, I am that big sister where she asked me everything and I'm telling her, Oh, okay. Well, you know, flights and tournaments and closing dates. And now we're starting to room and tournaments together. So that's fun. Cause you know, 
the tour can get like a bit lonely when you're just traveling by yourself. So it's nice to actually have family there. And I'm there watching her matches. She's there for a couple of mine. <laughs> she's too, she's too laid back for, to, to coach me just yet. So, <laughs> but um, fortunately we haven't played yet. I don't know. I'm trying to stall as long as possible. Cause I think the pressure is all on me. Uh, everyone wants the little sister, everyone wants the little sister to win. And she's, and I think for her, sometimes she can just be so laid back and, and casual and playing other players. But when she plays me, like that's the time where she's like, Oh, I really want to win. So she'll go all out, but we've had some good battles in us nationals. And it was so fun to have her on the Pan American team together where we won a uh, gold medal in the doubles. That must have been amazing. It's a great, yeah, it's a great feeling. And, you know, we got reference to the Williams sisters um, a couple of times. And it's, I mean, they were idols growing up. So hopefully she can just keep climbing up the rankings and we can both be in the top 10. Um, so that would be fantastic. But yeah, I mean, it, it's been great to have her on tour. And even though this is just the start, hopefully it'll be yeah. more years to come. Yeah, geez, many more years to come. Yeah. Uh, just go back to the doubles and I know what you're saying you're you're hiding to nothing when you're playing against each other being the older sibling I mean I'm the oldest I've got two younger brothers and everything we did I Brian is 18 months behind me and we were competitive at a few different things and it did not I did not enjoy it yeah if, uh, I know it's yeah it's funny because we have an older brother Omar so he's a year and a half older than me and growing up since Sabrina was more, she was a bit burnt out and she's three and a half younger than than me. So she was kind of in and out whether she wanted to play or not. And so it was more, my brother and I were very competitive and we would have battles because now I'm the underdog here. (laughs) He doesn't want to lose to a girl. And so we would just pull out all the tricks in the book. And he's like a big guy, like six, one, like strong as an ox, everything. So we'd end up just fighting on court the whole time. Like, (laughs) drag our dad to referee us to make sure he's watching everything um it's been great it's been great like prep for you know when you play those players on tour who might block a little bit or try and push and shove and I was like please I grew up with a playing against a guy who's six two like I there's nothing that you can phase me with (laughs) um but now that Sabrina is very competitive and she is so fast um so she it's actually it's so tough playing her because she is just one of the fastest players on tour in my opinion yes i've seen her play a little bit she's yeah yeah, she's a quality mover and she's quick yeah Yeah. she's not in um, she doesn't work with cherry as well no no so she decided to base herself in egypt um for her first year so my dad's retired and he's living over there and so she's living with my dad you know rent free so happy days Smart, smart decision. First year on tour, just base yourself somewhere that's very cheap financially. <laughs> that's what a Harvard degree will do for you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's smart, smart. And then, um, and then also, I think she just wanted to eliminate any distractions and just be in an environment that was all squash. Yeah. So she's been there, and I think she enjoyed it for the first year. But I, I don't think it's temporary. I think she'll. Uh, I don't think it's permanent. She'll probably move back to the states in the next year or so. Cool beans. So your hobbies, shark cage diving, <laughs> holy moly. I mean, 
you want to play squash for a long time, right? No, I don't think, honestly, I don't think I will do half the like adrenaline things that I used to do. Especially now after my injury, I'm like looking at things and I was like, I can get injured doing this, this, this. Well, at least you did it. I know. Yeah. So I, um, I was in South Africa, maybe 2012, um, for a couple of weeks playing in Jarvis and it was in Cape Town and Amazing. gorgeous gorgeous loved it and so I was like you know I'm gonna be here I might as well spend like five days afterwards just touring around everything yep. so they have I actually went so I we went hiking up Table Mountain and ever and Lion's Head did a couple hikes gorgeous and then I wanted to do um my two things that I wanted to do there like they were known for shark cage diving down there and also they had about a seven hour drive, they had the world's tallest um, bun- bridge bungee to jump off of in the world. And so, and it's like the third highest bungee jump in the world. And I've, and I was like, yes, I need to do these things. So I roped in, I know Lauren Briggs, she used to be a pro player. Sorry, um, I'm, I'm just getting anxious even thinking about the bungee jump. Continue. I know. Yeah. And so the first one was shark cage diving. I couldn't rope in anybody to do shark cage diving. So I was like, you know what? Shocker. I'll just, yeah, I'll just go alone. That's fine. So I signed up, like <laughs> went alone by myself with like other random people in a boat. Um, and it was winter down there. So it was freezing, but it was so cool. I mean, it actually wasn't that scary because you're like, go, you're in a cage. So you go down and then the shark really is not going to come in the cage. But they would like throw out the chum and then drag it towards you. So the shark would just come directly at you and like jump up on the cage. So that was fun. <laughs> right. Um, the bungee though, that definitely was scary. And so Lauren Briggs and I, I got her to come with me and we rented a car. We drove seven hours and stayed overnight in this like random beach shanty town. And then the next morning, Decide at ten thirty in the morning. Decided to jump off this blow crunch. Whoa, 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 whoa! You drove seven hours. Drove so you seven had seven hours. hours to change your mind. You had seven hours to think about it, and then a night in. Did you say like a shanty? Yeah, some random. We just stopped at an open like beach town because this is winter, so everything's closed. And so we just found a hotel nearby, and we we're like, okay, let's just stay there, sleep, and then the next morning. We decided to go. And that was the that was the day that we had to leave that night. So we saved the best for last. And so 1030 in the morning, yep. where we go off in the bungee. And once you're up there, it's like, oh, my goodness. Like, it's so high up. It's scary. It is scary. And, of course, you're just being shackled on your ankles by this bungee. That's it. And so the guy is telling us, he's like, okay, we're going to count down from five, and then you're going to jump. And so he's like, and I was like, okay. So I'm like waddling out to the edge. Oh man! And he's like five, four, and then he's like three, two, one. And so I <laughs> walked forward, swan up, and I just let out the like loudest scream of my entire life, like bloody murder scream. And it just echoes through the entire valley. And like the guy just turns to Lauren, and he's like, "Wow, that's a loud scream." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it's like you're free falling for at least three seconds and it's unbelievable. And then of course you get the tug and like everything <laughs> and then you're like, okay, I'm done. And so, oh. but afterwards the adrenaline, we were exhausted. Like afterwards we were like, I need a drink. 
And then we had, and then we just drove the seven hours back, and we were dead tired, exhausted. Like the adrenaline come down after that, but it was so worth it. Like loved it. Yeah. Well, for whatever floats your boat, man. I know. Yeah, <laughs> definitely one of the best trips that I've ever taken. Oh, fair play. Yeah, I, I would. No, I can't. I'm, I'm <laughs> terribly afraid of heights. Yeah. We'll finish up a bit of quick fire. Sounds good. All right. Favorite venue. Favorite venue. It was Nantes this year. That's taking the cake. That is taking the cake. Yeah. Favorite tournament. <laughs> All like, which is kind of diff- kind of a different question, if you know what I mean. That's true. That's true. Um. Well, actually, oh shoot, this is not even quick fire. I might say favorite venue would be TOC. Favorite tournaments, Nantes. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. It's not quick fire, but we'll take it. Yeah. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> Don't need to apologize. It's a mulligan. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Tea. With milk or without? With milk. Peanut butter or jam? Peanut butter for sure. Yeah, peanut butter is good. Favorite place to visit? Favorite place to visit, ooh, um, anywhere in the Caribbean, I would say Barbados. Cool. Skydiver bungee jump. Oh, I've done both, but I'm going to have to do um, bungee jump. And then bungee jump or shark dive? <laughs> bungee jump, 100%. That's the, that's the scariest one for me. Fair enough. Venus or Serena? Or Serena. Serena. I'm going to try to catch you out here. Red Sox or Yankees? Oh, Red Sox. Ooh. Oh, you hesitated. You weren't sure. I know, like Boston through one. and through. I know. Yeah, but I grew up. I grew up as a Yankees fan. Uh, I know. And so I feel like this is, yeah. And so I kind of trade, trade off a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> Fair enough. We can cut that if you want. <laughs> no, no. Uh, most memorable win. Most memorable win. Oh my God. Um, reaching the finals of TOC. Cool. Amazing. Yeah. Um, Amanda, you've been so good with your time and I was also late, no so I really appreciate you hanging in there. I'm not doing any. You're just cutting into my uh, five o'clock happy hour time, but other than that, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> judging by those workouts, if you've been out, you're probably know, halfway I there. I restock on the white gloves. I'm down to my last one. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, you've been so good with your time. We're super appreciative and grateful that you come onto the show, and we wish you nothing but all the success in the world for the season whenever it resumes, or for the new season when it starts and stay happy and healthy through quarantine. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Great interview from Amanda. Jamal, you had picked Amanda as a tournament winner if a PSA World Super Series event was to start tomorrow. Yeah. Um, as I said before, I might be a little bit biased because we've been pretty good friends with Amanda and her family for a while. But um, but I see in her, uh, I guess her, her recovery or just resiliency through her. She loves the game a ton. She's also very competitive. Um, and yeah, she's going to do whatever she whatever she needs to do to get back to, to where she was and then get further. Her goal is still the same, which is to become one number one, one white claw at a time. I mean, for me, the thing about Amanda that's always stood out was she was really one of the pioneers in terms of going and playing college squash and showing that you can go on and have a really successful professional career and be a world-class player despite having four years playing in college. Hi, awesome. Okay, guys, that's a wrap. This has been brilliant. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Jamal. For everyone who listened, thank you very much. If you haven't, no, if you don't know already, we do have a Facebook page. Give it a like. 
Instagram and Twitter. We are currently at three followers. Our goal for the end of next week is to get to five. Your help in that would be most appreciated as we try to become more legitimate. Thank you all so much for listening. We really do appreciate it and for your continued support and feedback, which means a lot to us podcast amateurs. Signing off. Thank you very much. <laughs>